0: All right. Good morning, everybody. So glad that you're here this morning. Good morning to many of you watching online here in Canada and the States, around the world, especially to you who are gathering in online connect groups. We want to say a special welcome to you this morning. If you've got a Bible this morning, uh, take out your favorite device or a paper Bible, we'd love you to turn again to Matthew uh, chapter 6. That's where we're going to be today. I'm an only child and an only grandchild, and so I've grown up living quite an independent life. I moved out of my parents' house at 17, lived in residence for four years, and sort of kept going. And yet there are moments in uh, my life where as I was traveling or or just doing whatever I was doing, I felt homesick. Has anyone been homesick before. Raise your hand if you've had that experience. I think we all have. I remember being in the beautiful, pungent country of India, traveling with a friend of mine, visiting all sorts of churches, and just checking out the culture of India. And I remember by week four, I was just done. I so wanted just to go home. I loved the country. I loved the people, but I was homesick just to see my parents. And I remember, this showed me how homesick I was. I remember flying from New Delhi into Heathrow, and I walked Into Heathrow, and I saw a McDonald's. Now I hardly ever eat at McDonald's, and I was like, "Oh!" And I ran to the McDonald's, and I bought for twelve pounds a quarter pounder with cheese. And it was like, "Thank you, Jesus." Anyway, it was just—it just shows you that's a homesickness. Uh, When I got married, it started getting sort of more intense. Doing graduate studies in California, uh, my seminary was right right by this amazing street, this old street with museums and amazing restaurants, and it was fun to hang out. But I kept saying, "Oh, I, I." I really actually would like to be doing this with my wife, not just by by myself or with these friends I've met. And then when kids came, I got homesick for them. I wanted to do things with them. Now, I like a break for my kids, make no mistake about it, but there was this just homesickness and it wasn't just I wanted to be at home in the physical home that I own. I wanted to be with the people that I love. Now, I want you to keep that image ingrained, burned in your mind this morning because it matters. This image is what actually is the background to Jesus' teaching through the whole Sermon on the Mount, but particularly this conversation today. How homesick are you? Is what Jesus is going to ask us. This is week 12 in our major series based out of Jesus' famous teaching called the Sermon on the Mount, and as we found out week after week after week, the Sermon on the Mount is what the kingdom of God looks like in ordinary, regular life. It's what the reign and rule of God the Father through Jesus the King, through the Holy Spirit looks like after you have become a follower of Jesus through grace alone and faith alone. Jesus' message to us this morning in this whole series is an explicit outline of a normal, not a super, a normal Christian life, an authentic faith in Jesus over a lifetime will look like the Sermon on the Mount. Now, Jesus keeps shifting the conversation as he's giving this. Chapter 5, he told us how to actually meet God, and there's only one way to do it. After you meet God, he begins to say how our relationships with each other will begin over time to radically change. In chapter 6, he begins to say that if you are part of the kingdom of co- kingdom come, then you must be involved in prayer and fasting and giving, but you must do it with the right motive because if you don't do it with the right motive, you will have actually no eternal reward. But now Jesus begins to take the kingdom of God to another space and place. Jesus comes to us this morning and says, I want to talk to you about love. I want to talk to you about loyalty. I want to actually talk to you about longing." Now, Jesus chooses three images, three metaphors to actually reveal where our real devotion is, where our allegiance is found, where is our confidence really found? What do we actually depend on at the end of the day? See, Jesus comes and says... Our kingdom loyalty is not just worked out in words alone, but always is expressed in actions, and you will know, I've preached this before, that the kingdom of God is coming closer and closer when you are not only your views, but your actions change in the areas of sex, money, power, and relationships. You will know that you are regressing or progressing based on this. So Jesus comes now in 2015, at this moment, through his word and his spirit, and says, C4, I would like to have a conversation with all of you about one thing today. Let's talk about your treasure. Let's talk about things. Let's talk about money. Now, let's be honest here this morning. We live in a world of materialism. Our culture focuses on possessions. Greed, coveting, wanton acquisition is normal. It's all around us. It's expected. And actually, it is taught to get south of the border. The American dream, you must do anything to get it. Our consumer culture tells us more is best, and pe- uh, possessions and pleasure, will they'll bring you satisfaction. And if we're willing to go beyond mostly our middle-class context here in Canada, no one will argue with this. The richer are getting richer, and the poor are getting poor. The world's population is exploding in a way we've never seen in Earth's history. It is more complex. We are more disconnected and more connected than we ever have been. One billion people live on less than a dollar a day. Can I say that again? One billion people right now live on less than a loonie a day. Three billion people live on less than a toonie, $2 a day. Three out of seven people live on less than $2 a day. And Jesus now comes and says, C4, this is my word to you today. This is my Father's kingdom vision for a normal Christian life. If you want to know what the kingdom come looks like in the area of things and stuff and money, well, here's what I'm going to say. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Do not. Do not spend your life focused on obsessed by everything that can be taken now and will not last then. I did an inventory of myself this week. I imagined being able to put everything that I treasure in a box. So here is what Jonathan Thompson is according to treasure, what I own. I own a house or probably 60%. I don't know how much I own, but the bank owns some of it, but partly partial a house. I own furniture. I own two TVs. I own a Wii U. That was Christmas. Really cool. I own some carpets, art. I have two cars. I have three degrees. I have three children. I have a wife. I have a mom and a dad. I have a father-in-law and a mother-in-law. I have a sister and brother-in-law and their kids. I don't own them, by the way. They're my relationship. They're my treasures, okay? I have extended family. I have memories. I have my experiences. I've been able to travel the world, for example, I have food at this moment. I have a job. I have influence. I have a few friendships. I have many relationships. I have titles. I have clothing. I have books. You all know that. I have music. I have some savings. That's me. All I own are treasures there. If you could put it all in a box, all the things I've accomplished at 39, all the things, all the titles, all the jobs, all the relationships, that's what I've got. And Jesus comes along to myself and all of you this morning and says, yeah, just so you know, all of that does not last. None of it? Nope, None. Now, Jesus is not coming, by the way, to, do, to us who are part of the kingdom and saying, this is a ban on having things. This is not a ban on possession. This is not a ban on private property. This is not saying that saving is a sin. No, actually, if you read your Bible very carefully, the book of Proverbs is unbelievably clear that a person who's under the wisdom of God is involved in saving. Proverbs 6.6, 6, go to the ant, you lazy person, you sluggard. Consider its ways and be wise. It has no concern. Commander, no overseer or ruler. In other words, it believes in self leadership, yet it stores its provisions in summer and gathers its food at harvest. So that's not what Jesus is saying. Like, it's okay to save. Jesus, by the way, is not saying that we should not work and just sort of wait for him to provide and suddenly he'll split the heavens and we'll go home. No, actually, Paul says to Timothy in 1 Timothy 5.8, anyone, anyone who does not provide for their relatives, especially their own household, has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. This is not saying if you're sick or you're having an economic difficulty, but it's saying when you choose to be lazy, God has no time for this. Also, by the way, this is very important. I say this this morning as we get going. We are called to enjoy things God has given us. First Timothy 4.4, 4, for everything God created is good and nothing is to be rejected if it's received with thanksgiving. So it's okay as a Christian to enjoy good food if you're married, sex or clothing or art or travel or relationships or a collection of certain things. But Jesus is going far beyond the surface He's diving deep into the heart of the matter, motives, trust. Why do we do what we do? Why do you buy things? He's saying, why do you want things? What actually controls you? What inspires you? What do you depend on? And by the way, he said, all the things you depend on are going away, right? Jesus put it this way. Who really is God in your life? Luke twelve fifteen. watch out. Jesus said, watch out, be on guard, a double watch out. Against all kinds of greed life does not consist in abundance of possessions. The American dream isn't true. Let me see that again. Luke 12:15. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Food, clothing, money, it's all temporal. It's foolish to rely on, to put your hope in, to put your trust in. All of this goes away. No treasure has permanency. Everything is subject to perishing. I love how Job put it this way. He simply said in Job 121, naked I came from my mom's womb and naked I will depart, period. There is no U-Hauls at the graveside. We keep digging up all these gravesides, Right? And they're displayed in museums because people thought if they just packed out their graves, they would take it somewhere. Well, guess what? It's in the Rom, not in heaven. Job says, this is it. Poor, rich, middle class, upper middle class, lower class, blue collar, white collar. No matter where you fit in the economic scale, all of us, even as Christians, have done the above. We have wanted, we have obsessed, actually we have spent our time and money buying or investing in those things that we thought ultimately would bring deep security, love, and satisfaction. And Jesus says, no, I just want to be honest with you this morning, it all decays, it all gets destroyed, it's all eroded, it's all corroded. Family, they're gonna leave you. Music, it's gonna go. Positions, memories, spouse, intellect, kids, health, Canadian passport." Canada, education, homes, positions, personalities, it all fades. Now, members of the kingdom of God get to live life understanding life actually is good, life is beautiful, and what I just mentioned is a gift, but it is not, ready? It is not the end. Have you read the book of Ecclesiastes lately? Probably haven't. I recommend you don't read it in February, but here is where life is all laid out, architecture, owning land, building, a strong work ethic, great sex, money, reputation, power, all sorts of philosophy and thinking. Let me put it this way. Imagine you got to be really smart. Some of you are like, I am. Okay, pride issue. Anyway, imagine you get to be really smart and at the same time, dirty rich, like just filthy rich. And at the same time, you were really in love and at the same time, you were really good-looking. And at the same time, you got to be a world traveler and educated formally. And everyone you met just loved you. Can you imagine? Imagine the Twitter followers you would have. Oh, my goodness. Well, Solomon comes along and said, actually, that's me. And I've dipped my toe in all of it for a lifetime. And then this is what he says in Ecclesiastes 1-2. Everything is Meaningless. Completely meaningless. What do people get for all their hard work under the sun? Generations come and generations go, but the earth never changes. No matter how much we see, we are never satisfied. No matter how much we hear, we are not content. Now, is Solomon saying everything is stupid? Everything is garbage? Everything has no value? No, that is not what Solomon is saying. He is saying all of it is fleeting, All of it is passing. It does not bring deep life fulfillment in the end. All of life, one wrote, is transient. All you could buy, all you could want, anything you could achieve, any relationship you could have is temporary. Or let me put it this way this morning. All of life is cursed with non-eternity. All of life is cursed with non-eternity. I found this great story this week that reads like this. There was a tale of an eminent man full of love of letters and art, who drew near to the end of his life. One day an old family servant found him moving slowly with tottering steps through his splendid library. He touched the many treasured volumes with sensitive, loving fingers. He laid gentle hands upon one after the other of the exquisite bits of statuary that his room was filled with. He gazed at the many beautiful paintings he had acquired over a lifetime, and as he moved slowly about, the servant heard him say these words, I must leave you, I must leave you, I must leave you, and I must leave you. You're going to leave your family, and your house, and your money, And the world and beauty and art and friendship and social media, your accomplishments, I must leave you, is the stark truth of life. So this is what our world says in response. Well, okay, we don't really want to talk about it, so let's get really distracted. But since that is true, let's squeeze everything out of this life we can. Do everything you can to try everything. Just try it, no matter the cost to yourself or others, because this is it. That's why beauty products and entertainment have so much power. But for Christians, for kingdom members, leaving isn't it, right? As a Christian, do you live your life like this is it? Do you spend every waking moment trying to squeeze everything out of this life because this is it, supposedly? Here's the question I've got. How homesick are you not for heaven? Heaven and the new earth is just the destination. How homesick are you for Jesus? Do you really believe this is it? See, the raw honesty about the life that we live and Jesus' words should not inspire fear in any of us or depression. No. It actually should free us to enjoy this life, but hold it loosely, knowing that everything we can have access to could be stolen in this life and actually will be gone in the next one. So here's the question again. How homesick are we this morning? Now, Jesus says, if you're part of my dad's kingdom, by the way, that lasts forever, then here's my response to you. Verse 20 Store up for yourself treasures in heaven, where moth and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. By the way, this is not some weird bank account that if you do a bunch of good works and you get to face God, he looks at your bank account and covers you and your friends. No, no. This is what he's saying. Everything you do for the Father in Jesus's name that is done with right motive is a treasure in heaven. We're not told what the treasure will look like. All we know is it is amazing. That is why Jesus has just begged our church and every church not to fast and not to pray and not to give and not do anything in his name to do it for wrong motive because he says you will get your reward down here and it disappears. He says, but if you do it for right motive, it becomes treasure in heaven. Here's how Paul talks about this in 1 Timothy 6 For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Now, just stop. Money isn't evil. The love of money is evil. He says, Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Verse 17. Command those who are rich. Stop. That's every person sitting in this room every person online, every one of us right now, we're at least richer than 3 billion people on earth at this moment. So this is God through his spirit speaking to us. Command all of C4 because we are all rich in this present world not to be arrogant or put our hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. Thank you, 2008, right? But to put our hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. So we are called to enjoy this life, but we are forbidden from trusting in wealth because wealth becomes idolatry. Verse 18, command those people to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and willing to share. Live a holy life, don't be a hoarder, be willing to share. Verse 19, in this way, you will lay up treasure for yourself as a firm foundation for the coming age so that you can take hold of the life that is truly life. How homesick are you? Greed is idolatry. Well, how do you know when you're greedy? Here it is. There's four reasons. Number one, if you hoard wealth, you're greedy. Number two, if you gain wealth unjustly, you're greedy. Number three, if you spend your money or time or talent only for yourself, never being generous, you are greedy. Number four, if you start gaining money ruthlessly, you are greedy. We are called to use our money and our time and our talent, realizing they are temporal, to help the lost, point people to Jesus, care for those in need, to support ministries. We are called to be marked by using spiritual gifts and spiritual disciplines and being people of love. Why? Because we know this is not the whole picture. If this is it, you will be a hoarder. If this is not it, you can be generous. Here's how Jesus' half-brother put it, James. What good is it, it, my brothers and sisters, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such a faith save him? Well, suppose a brother and sister is without clothes and daily food, and one of you says to him, we'll go, I I wish you well, keep warm and well-fed but does nothing about the physical needs. What good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if not accompanied by action, is dead. Faith, real, genuine encounters with Jesus, produces works. See, the struggle here for Jesus is about trust. Trust. The wrestle here is about our heart, And we are called to invest in things that last for eternity. The battle for us is when we pray, Oh, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Or next week as we learn the verse, Seek first the kingdom of God. And then we do the opposite with our money. There is a mega breakdown. What will you do with what you've been given, Jesus would ask us. Whether it's been big or small. Will you invest in things that last or things that are fleeting? Now, by the way, I want to make this clear again. Doing stuff down here is an evil. It's not wrong to go to the bay today and buy new towels. You're not sinning against eternity for buying, well, it depends on the color. But anyway, you know, it's not wrong. But here's what you need to know. The towels don't go with you. You can upgrade your car. Of course you can. And if it's not an idolatry issue, go for it. But here's what you've got to remember. The car doesn't go with you. These things don't provide security, these things don't provide satisfaction, even your strongest relationships are only an image of the one you're supposed to meet. And Jesus comes along and he says, look, where are you going to invest? How homesick are you, or do you even believe any of this? See, anything done for Jesus, any temporal activity that's done for God will have eternal reward and effect. Nothing can rust, steal, or break or rot those things. And what I really love is this when we get to the new heavens and the new earth, Jesus is never going to say to us, I must leave you. Isn't that beautiful? Jesus says, There are two treasures, very simple earthly and heavenly. One's secure, one's insecure. What do you want? What do you want? Some of you gave to the care fund today. I'll just use it as an example because it's here. If you gave with right motive, it ripples into eternity right now. If you get it for wrong motive, you've got your reward, it's done. That's what Jesus teaches. Verse 21 says, if you really want to understand where your heart is, here it is. For where your treasure is, that's where your heart is also. See, God wants our hearts, not our things. Where our heart is, that affects how we deal with things. Here's the question. God's kingdom... His will, his agenda. Are you excited, so inspired by the things of God that you'd be willing to sacrificially be generous because of it? It's reflected on how you spend your time and your money. God's priorities are something else. I love how Eugene Peterson just translates this. It's obvious, right? The place where your treasure is, is the place you'll most want to be and you end up being. Where you end up is where you have priorities how homesick are you? Jesus switches metaphors and he starts talking about eyes. Verse 22, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. And if the light within you is darkness, how great the darkness. Now, most people read this and they say, well, this Jesus is really talking about, you know, we need to look at good things, not bad things. Like, let's be careful of lust. Jesus would agree, but that has nothing to do with what Jesus is talking about here. See, to the original audience, they knew exactly what Jesus was saying. See, to the Jew, the heart and the eye are the same thing. Where you fix your heart, where you fix your eyes, is actually what you are about. The word healthy in Greek means singleness of purpose or undivided loyalty. So here's what Jesus is saying. Ready? Ready? Where you fix your eyes reflects your loyalty and your love. In the Old Testament, the eye was used as an image for generosity. Rabbis used to say that you would have evil eyes if you were a miser or a hoarder or if you were ungenerous or selfish. It comes from Proverbs 28, 22, a man with an evil eye hastens after wealth. So this is what Jesus is saying. Being full of light really means you are kingdom oriented and generous. So good eyes are fixed on God. As you fix yourself on God and you're homesick for Jesus, he fills us with light, that life begins to actually spill out and we give off light. And we give off light not when we hoard wealth and pretend that this life is it, but actually we are generous with what we have because we know something greater is coming that's going to last. How homesick are you? The vision, he says, if it's clouded or darkened or discolored or dirty, then your kingdom values, your kingdom calling, and your kingdom perspective are the same. The truth is, many of us could think we have very good kingdom eyes when actually we could be partially blind. Where we focus our eyes, what we look at, what we long for, either brings great darkness or great light. So that sets up Jesus for the last image he uses, the one of slavery. He talks about two masters. And he says, look, what consumes your time, your thinking, your effort, your planning, your daydreaming is where your heart is, and it's actually what owns you. Verse 24, no one can serve two masters. Can't do it. You'll either hate the one or love the other, and you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And we say, oh, yes, we can. I've worked it out, Jesus. No, you can't. Yes, I can. No, you can't. Trust me, Jesus. He's like, no, you trust me. You cannot, there is no wiggle room, Jesus says. You cannot, you cannot love God and love money. Cannot do it. Now, by the way, this is not an image of working for two people. This is not like saying you can't have two jobs. No, no, what he's saying is this. You cannot be controlled by, owned by two masters for in the end, you have to choose a side. This is a black or white issue. There is no gray with Jesus in this one. You'll love one and you'll hate the other. You have to take your pick. And Jesus says, just so you know, I'm not angry since I'm so full of love and you're part of my kingdom and I want you to experience joy. I just want to remind you again, as you're living in one of the wealthiest experiences ever in history, one lasts and one does not last. One gives me worship and one doesn't give me worship. One is holy. One can become unholy. What do you want? Scott McKnight says money has a way of freezing our hands and our feet, stiffening our hearts, it has a way of becoming like Gollum's ring, something we cannot do without, that becomes the focus of our attention. It's interesting. A great scholar in the United States wrote this. He said, Most Christians in the West simply just don't believe Jesus' teaching about the deadly danger of possessions. We just don't believe him. Christians in the United States, speaking to his audience, says, Well, we live in the richest society in history surrounded by at least a billion hungry neighbors, and yet we insist on more and more. So if Jesus is so un-American that he considers riches dangerous, we either have to ignore Jesus or just reinterpret his message so we feel okay. How homesick are we? See, anything can be an earthly treasure. Because some of you, I know exactly, you're like, well, I'm not rich, so this isn't applying to me. Oh, it is. See, the overspending person and the hoarder, or the person who longs for money but doesn't have money, it's all the same problem. Uh, money can be an earthly treasure. Things, anything you own can be an earthly treasure. Wealth, people. I know people that love their family more than Jesus, hands down. Some of you love your kids way more. Now, I'm glad you love your kids. Oh, God, give us more parents who love their kids. But if it came to Jesus, your kids, it's your kids. Family, maybe it's a collection. Maybe it's a talent you've got. Maybe it's a job. What I find fascinating the more I sit with people is this many of us, our earthly treasure is a memory. It is a place we keep going back to, and it could be a horrific memory or a beautiful memory, but it's almost like the golden age or the worst place, and we cannot get out of that memory. It's an earthly treasure. Maybe it's life. Maybe it's nature. See, here's what Jesus is saying. Love the Lord God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. Here's what Jesus is saying. I don't want you breaking one of the commandments. You shall have no other gods before me. As one wrote, the decision before us is not atheism or God. It's not the issue of God or no God. That's not even our choice. The question is, which God will we worship? The true and living God who came to us in Jesus Christ or a substitute God? We look to something beyond ourselves. And this something helps us make choices in life. It gives us a set of values and priorities that serve as our reference point. It becomes the determining factor in our lives so that gradually, and perhaps we don't even know it, we actually look like the God we are worshiping. Your God right now is leaving a mark on your life. Martin Luther greatly said, whenever or whatever your heart clings to, Whatever your heart relies on, that properly is your God. So we must let God be God, the true living God. That's why the Bible is so fiercely opposed to every form of idolatry. The greatest sin described in the Bible is not breaking the Ten Commandments. It is idolatry because idolatry is misplaced allegiance. It is making a commitment, having a love relationship, giving a priority to a God that displaces and dethrones the true and living God. And never forget this this morning. False gods always promise what only God can give you. Earthly treasures continually tell us, I will give you security, I will give you happiness, I will give you hope, and I'm never going away. And it's a lie. It's a lie. Do you live your life? Do we live our lives like this is it? Like, do we really, at the end of the day, think, I got 80 years, and then, you know, something is going to happen. I don't really get it. Cloud, angels, Philadelphia, I don't, whatever. But this is really the big deal. If we live even instinctually with that, that worldview, then you do not believe Jesus. You think his kingdom is lesser than what it is. You do not believe the better is yet to come. So you will spend all of your emotional, sexual, relational, financial energy doing stuff here. And you'll sort of be generous, but not really. Because you really believe it's better here than what's coming. Michael Horton, speaking to his church, asked five very difficult questions that I've wrestled with all week myself. He says, you want to know what your earthly treasure is? He says, here it is. says, what occupies your thoughts when you have nothing else to do? What occupies your daydreams? Is it investment or position? If so, those things are your treasure. That's where your heart is. Here's another question. What do you fret most about? Is it your home or your clothing? Then that's where your treasure lies. Here's a third one. Apart from your loved ones, who do we fear dread losing? And I actually would include loved ones. Number four was the real striking one for me. What are the things that you measure other people by? When you look at someone, how do you judge them? This question is a very revealing mirror, he writes, because we measure other people by what we actually treasure. So is it clothing or education or their home or athletic prowess? Do you, do you measure other people by their success in business? If so, that's where your treasure is. Lastly, what is it that we cannot be happy without? I don't know how to express this in words this morning. I'm going to try. If you want Jesus, like we sang about it, right? But if you want Jesus, the Christ, the Son of God, if your love is growing more and more for Jesus, then the things of this world, even the good things we get to enjoy, will not hold you, bind you, or own you. You'll get to enjoy them, but you'll hold them so loosely because you'll realize they don't last. And they could be taken even in this life. If we are members of the kingdom of God, the reign and rule of God, a foretaste of what is to come, and we want the kingdom of God to grow more and more in us, then this is when it happens, when our love for Jesus Christ and the things of Jesus Christ is outstripping our love for here. Because that outstripping, that homesickness, that, oh my goodness, Jesus and nothing more. That longing creates the space for real ongoing revival and awakening because it moves us from greed and hoarding and obsessing to generosity because we actually believe that when we invest in things that last, it really actually is going to happen. Jesus says, treasure, light, slavery. Two treasures, two visions, two masters who owns you. The verse that summarized this whole conversation for me was given to me in 2011. It actually is one of the promises to God's ongoing work in our church. It's in 2 Corinthians 5.8. And Paul said these words, and I want you just to sit with that, please. Paul says, we are confident, I say, And would prefer to be away from the body and at home with Jesus. By the way, Paul's not depressed. Paul's not struggling with some horrific illness. This is not escapism for Paul. I need to say that. But I want, hold on, just take the moment, please. Paul says, I would really right now prefer, I am so homesick. There's nothing right now, though there are good and things I really enjoy, nothing compares to to the insatiable desire I have to look at Jesus physically and be near him. He says, I make it my goal to please him, whether we're at home in the body or away from it. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. This is to Christians. So each one of us may receive what is due for us, things done on the body, whether good or bad. I read that verse, and I just don't know what to say. I mean, I've struggled with this message this whole week because I'm rich. I'm richer than probably five or six billion people on earth just the truth. And all week I've been wrestling with Jesus going, I don't know what to say to you. So here's what I'd like to say to you as one of your pastors. I haven't arrived, not even close on this one. This is what I did say to Jesus this week. I said to him, I wouldn't fight him. I said to him, I, I... I understand that we have to value life and I understand that there's beauty in this world and I understand that it's okay that we have things and I understand that if we use temporal things for eternity, but I said I also realize how blind I could be. And I realize how sinful I am and I realize how much I really like my house. But this phrase kept coming back in my head, how homesick are you, John? I would prefer to be away from everything I listed and be at home with Jesus? I don't know. The amount of homesickness, genuine homesickness we have, will determine our generosity as people. It will actually determine the amount of time and talent and treasure we invest in the now versus the not yet. Jesus comes and he says these words. He says, do not spend all you have or much of what you have on even good things that last, only here. He says, you are supposed to be the demonstration of what is to come. You're praying, he would say, I'm sure to us, you're praying for renewal, most of you, and revival, and you're asking for awakening where hundreds of thousands of middle-class non-Christians in our region would suddenly embrace Jesus over all they've got. Well, it has to start here first. So, my only thing I can leave with you today is to say to Jesus, I don't know how homesick I am, so would you show me? And the only thing I can give you at this moment in my own journey beyond the scriptures is just say to Jesus this week, You won't fight him when he talks to you. Do you really believe what's coming is better? And do you really believe when you do something for the Lord, it actually lasts? Because if you don't, you will never see the kingdom come in a great, beautiful, life-altering way. You will just be a materialist, a hoarder, or a worrier who has the title Christian. Jesus Wants freedom. That is why he speaks about this. He wants us to have love and he does not want us to drown in the now because the not yet so much better. So, with no guilt, with genuine requests for conviction, let's pray together and then respond to him this way Lord, so we're sitting in a very middle class church right now. But we realize that this is not a poor or rich issue. This is a heart issue. And so we're praying for God's kingdom to come among us. And this hits home probably more than many messages. So we pray that God's kingdom would come on earth as it is in heaven. We pray that you'd begin to individually speak to every single one of us about our homesickness or lack of it. Help us to navigate enjoying life and valuing what we have and the relationships you've given us and yet at the same time not being owned by them. And I just, I just pray for us, Lord, that we wouldn't fight you when you talk. Actually, I pray that not one person in this church would be like the rich young ruler who asked Jesus and Jesus gave an answer and he went away sad. Lord, you are invited into our money in this church. You are money, you are invited into our investments. You're invited into our homes. You're invited into our things. You're invited into our businesses. You're invited into our treasures, our titles, our memories, our experiences. You're invited. And we just ask you to begin to truly, truly sort out where we're investing and who we love. I just ask you again, Do not relent. Keep meeting this church no matter the cost. In the name of Jesus who says these things with great love for us, amen.